Welcome to Two Guys in a Microphone. Two not-so-middle-aged guys sitting around talking about God, theology, pop culture, and some things that we think you might find interesting that we have discussed over the last 30 years. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Here's the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to uh, the podcast. Uh, here, uh, Two Guys in a Microphone. Uh, it's where it's at. And um, I'm Stu Sheckler. I'm Dale Kesterson. And uh, we're going to have a conversation today about politics. Um, politics, schmolitics. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we're going from from, <laughs> from one from fire fr- the the from the frying pan to the fire. I think is, 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 is the phrase, right? Yeah. yeah. But you know, to be fair, as I was thinking about this, I was like, oh man, couldn't we have tackled something a little bit lighter this time? Yeah. At first, but then. The more I thought about it, it's like, okay, really, we've done the last three episodes kind of talking about deconstruction, right. and going into politics seems like, yeah. all right, yeah, yeah, we're diving right into the next thing, but right. really, both are things that are going to come up again and again and again. Yeah, yeah. So, it's They're, fair to go ahead and address it early. Yeah. Right, know, yeah. And then... You know, we can kind of refer back, and it's right. going to pop up. So here's the question: Should Christians be Democrats or Republicans? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you don't have to answer that question. I'm just, I no. mean, I mean, but that's where we go with it, right? right. That, that's how that's how this plays yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we can get into it a little bit more, but um, you know. So my my immediate thought that popped into my head when you asked that question is yes. Um, but then the recovering libertarian in me is saying no (laughs) and uh yeah so many different ways we can go from there yeah so i think that so so the the whole encompassing idea here is we're actually going to spend some time talking about tribalism because one of the things that seems to have happened in the united states in the last you know what maybe decade maybe half decade is uh, is we've been told that we need to go into um, into these tribes. Like you, you're either a Democrat or you're Republican. Christians are this, Christians are that. We we don't even talk about libertarians or any other political point of view. Right. And and then there's all this discussion about sh- should we shouldn't we just opt out of all of it? And it's the kingdom of God. And and sometimes we're going to look like conservatives. Sometimes we're going to look like liberals. Sometimes we're going to look like libertarians. Sometimes it's not going to be any of that. It's just going to be we're following Jesus. Yeah, you know how do you do that? And because you know, um, I was just uh, reading Sky Jathani <laughs> just this morning, yeah. yeah, which odd enough, I mean, it was just like the next devotion that I was reading of his, and uh, he talks and he talks about the famous speech um, in in the Plymouth Colony about um, there the famous sermon that this place is going to become the city on the hill. And they equate. Um, Jesus's phrase in the Sermon on the Mount: uh, "Be a city on the hill, right? Don't you know? Let your light shine. Don't put it under a bushel." That whole that whole phraseology in Matthew, right? And he, he they take all of that and they apply it to this new country or this at least this new colony that they're building that they want to be the city on the hill. And politicians have taken that. Um, uh, leaders have taken that. Over and over and over again, and said, "We are the city on the hill." I mean, most recently, I remember as a kid hearing Ronald Reagan say that, 
we want to become that city on a hill again. Mm-hmm. And then it, you know, and then after him, every Republican would use that because it seemed to resonate with people. Um, but in a lot of ways, what we what we feel like we're doing is equating um, the kingdom of God with like the United States of America. Right. And if you don't do that, then you're wrong. Or if you do that, you're wrong. I mean, depending on what political per- persuasion you are, you know. And I, I find that to be very interesting. It seems to frame the discussion uh, about politics in America right now, especially from the viewpoint of a, uh, of a Christian, you know. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of those, a lot of those early American pilgrims did that, equating what they were attempting to build, right? Either with the city on the hill analogy from the New Testament or with a new Israel yes. using using Old Testament terminology. Right. And uh, so while those things were a part of some of those early sermons mm-hmm. or even the Mayflower Compact mm-hmm. included right. in that document, you know, right. um, they're not a part of our Declaration of Independence or yeah. Constitution necessarily. Right. Yeah. I mean... Well, and... And it would apply if every person in the United States were Christians. Right. Yep. Right. We, we might be able to use that rhetoric. Yeah, even then. Even then it would, right. Even then, you know, what is Jesus saying the city on the hill is? You know, those disciples he's talking to mm-hmm. out on that hillside. Right. Not a, not a entity. Mm. You know, not right. a, not an organization. Yeah, not a nation state. Not right. a nation state. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 What is that? A thousand years before a nation state idea even comes into existence. You know, well, he's not talking about that, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we, we can we can go back to. I mean, you know, Aristotle introduced the 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 concept of right politics as the. Um, the idea of the city, mm-hmm. yeah, you know the right, right. the theory of the city, yeah, you know. yeah, because but, they, yeah, because you know he was dealing with you know Greek city states, right, right, and they were, and exactly. that's what they were, right, yeah. and they were trying to work that that system out, which is what we like to say is is one of the bases for American politics, which should also tell you something about us being the city on a hill, right, because Jesus might have used that rhetoric because they understood it. But he is not equating a nation state or a city state, for that matter, as a as that city. It's the kingdom, and the kingdom is the effective reign of God on the earth. So yeah. wherever that's happening, right, whether it's in the United States or the Ukraine right now, or in you know um, in China, in Korea, in you know yeah. wherever. Um, I mean, we're we're talking about you know wherever God's reign is is effective and at work. That's the kingdom. Yeah. Um, yeah. So taking a step back a couple yeah. weeks here, I mean, this has been a part of my deconstruction. I'm sure, sure it has you as yep. well. I mean, yep. you know, um, kind of being raised in this, well, all serious Christians are Republicans, right? Yeah. Yes. Kind of yeah. in, in that Ronald Reagan era. Right. And, and uh, yeah, but as I studied and learned more, came to a big part of it was Acts 1. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, and the um, Jesus spent forty days mm-hmm. after his resurrection with these disciples, and and it says in there specifically he was talking to them about the kingdom of God. Right. 
that's what he was teaching them. Right. That's what he was focused on this during those 40 like days. Yeah. Yeah. And then it comes the, the day of the ascension, and what are they asking him about? Are you now going to, to restore the kingdom of Israel? Right. You know, they, after 40 days of focused teaching on the kingdom of God, he's, right. he's, they're back to the kingdom of Israel. Yeah. They're back to a political entity. Yeah. You know, that afforded them influence. Right. And his response is, no, no, no. You know, it's not for you to know those times are ours. Yeah. But you'll receive the Holy Spirit with power, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. And it was clear, like, the rest of Acts is all about how this is a global movement, Mm -hmm. not... A national institution, right? Yeah, and see, see, one of the things that that caused me to start, I guess, if you would, deconstructing and uh, re-looking at my politics, yeah, was I started to understand Jesus's own mandate for his ministry. Um, in Luke four, he quotes Isaiah sixty-one. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and and as I started looking at that, you know, it's it's you know, he's going to give sight to the blind. He's going to make the lame walk. You know, he's going to set prisoners free. Yeah. You know, and, and, yeah. and you know, he's going to declare the year of the Lord's favor. I was like, what does that even mean, right? And so as I started digging into each of them, it's like Jesus was using this um, this language that have had double entendre to it, right? It was like it, it, it was talking physical, was also talking spiritual, and I was taught to really interpret that passage as spiritual not physical. But then I started understanding the year of the Lord's favor specifically and what that meant. That was the year of Jubilee. And the crazy part is, is as Jesus institutes his, you know, his ministry, it is the year of Jubilee Uh and it's the 49th year. Right. And so in that year of Jubilee, what you're supposed to do is reset everything. Like if you had, yeah. if you if some if somebody owed you money, you forgave it. If you owed somebody money, you got it forgiven. You move back to your hometown. You, um, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like you, in, and in certain cases, you gave property back to the originators, the people who owned it before you. But it didn't mean you displaced somebody else because they were going to go back to their hometown, and the same thing was going to happen. Yeah. It was this whole idea. And if we ran an economy like that, it would like we couldn't sustain it in the United States at all, right? Um, and, it, and as far as we can tell, Israel never really did that, right? They they really never dug into the year of the, the year of jubilee, and I'm and I'm sitting there reading this and understanding what the year of jubilee is, and and then I apply it spiritually, and I'm like, that is what Jesus wants. That's what the kingdom is. Like in that phrase, he just, bam, this is the kingdom, and then I started uh, trying to apply that to my daily life. And I mean, when I realized this, I was probably pretty right leaning persuasion in my, in my politics. Right. Yeah. I was a fan of Reagan. I was a, I was a Teddy Roosevelt guy from history, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, Oh yeah, Republicans are trying to do the right thing, you know? Yeah. And I started going, but it doesn't jive with the year of Jubilee. How do you set prisoners free? Well, some of their policies actually put more prisoners in jail. And set them free. Yeah, and I was like, "How do I? How do I? How do I reconcile?" That's all I was asking: is how do I reconcile that? And I'm gonna be honest with you: I don't know that I've completely reconciled all that, but it started making me take this thing apart and say, 
politics is a lot more complex and when it, it intersects with the kingdom of God than I thought. And because I was, I was definitely one of those. I can understand why folks are like in one camp or the other because that's what a Christian's supposed to do. I can, I get that. Yeah. That's where I was. Yeah. But as I took it apart and really took Jesus seriously, I thought this is not as cut and dry as I, as I once thought it was. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. And so the, then you've got these like uh, these slogans like Jesus for president or <laughs> things like that, and it's like <laughs> yeah. I remember I can't remember where it came up. Somebody had asked me about it or something. That's and somehow I. I had it was like a Facebook post or something that yeah. you know from a few years ago, and I, I remember saying that uh, you know Jesus actually makes a really bad president, right? But he makes a great king. Yes, <laughs> you know. So from a personal perspective, you know his teaching, his example. That's that's what we yeah individually and as a church ought to keep coming back to. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. Jesus' policies, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can't run a country like no. that. No, and, and so all these people who really want, we want, you know, the right now we're, we're in the warm-up to the midterm elections right. Right. And, and the, uh, you know, the primaries and all that for, for Congress, and it's like, all these people, you know, it's God, guns, and Trump, or, you know, this, that. It's like, okay, it's one thing to have somebody, you to want a godly leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But somebody who wants to try to run a country using Christian principles. Right. Well, which Christian principles? Right. You know, because one party focuses on this group of Christian principles, and the other party focuses on this group of Christian principles. And yeah. we can't necessarily reconcile both together all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And have a functioning country. Yeah, it, it, and, and the crazy part is, okay, so if I take your thought one step further, um, to me, that is what made America unique, is that we could take those perspectives, yeah. have a reasonable discussion with each other, debate, and even decide that we don't agree with each other. Yeah. And yet we're going to walk away going, we're moving forward as a nation with this one, this one idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that seemed to be like, that seemed to be why it was unique. It wasn't dictated from one spot or one group of people. Yeah. And, and we, that's what, at least that was ideally what we wanted. Right. And we tried to exercise that in different ways over our history. And, and the problem now is, is that, you know, we're being told we have to polarize ourselves. Right, mm-hmm. and and I think that the idea of coming together, discussing differences, and saying, "Well, I read the Bible and it says this, and I read the Bible and it says that, and I think we should have a policy on this and a policy on that," um, and and coming together and find some compromising ground or saying we're not going to go forward with this policy until we can find common ground, is more Christ-like, is more Kingdom of God than, "Hey, go pick a pick a side, and Jesus is for me, yeah, on my side, and right. not on yours, yeah." Yeah, that. And, and everybody else is an idiot, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I I remember growing up. You know, I my dad, military veteran, hardcore. You know, Reagan Republican, yeah. and um, you know, financially supported all these different politicians and groups and things like that. And 
but even then, that perspective of, I remember, oh, you know, so-and-so who's a member of our church. Yeah. Well, they're a Democrat. Right. And it's like, okay, you can dismiss them as such, Mm -hmm. but you were not hostile towards them. Right. They're, they're your brother or sister in Christ. Yeah. You know, um, even in the early 2000s, you know, churches that I was in a leadership role in. Right. You know, oh, so-and-so, you know, vast majority, you know, relatively pretty conservative. Right. Evangelical, if not fundamentalist churches. And, you know, vast majority of the people are Republicans. Right. And, And a lot of it comes down to just a handful of moral policies. Yeah. Uh, abortion, mm-hmm. you know, perspective on sanctity of marriage, right. whatever that means, right? You know, and things like that, and yeah, maybe a handful of people in the church are, you know, kind of known Democrats, mm-hmm. you know, but they were more than just tolerated, yeah. you know. They're embraced, they're acknowledged. Oh, so and so, you know, this person, great individual, yeah. good friend. Yeah, they're a Democrat, but whatever. You right. Know. You do not see that no. in the last five to ten years. Yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of work that goes into it if you do. Yeah. You know, I've, right. I've heard of pastors talking about, like, we have both Black Lives Matter folks and, you know, Make America Great Again folks, yeah. you know, in, in their church. And, and they'll come together and they'll worship together and they'll talk to each other and they'll serve with each other. That's really cool, but those are f- th- those are the exceptions. It yeah. feels like right now, yeah. than yeah. than the rule. And 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 so let me let me be totally honest right now. One of the things right now that has kept me from really engaging in a church community, mm. you know, is that on, on a personal level. I mean, they're they're yeah, not the only thing, but sure. but there are there are. Uh, yeah, when I just see the divisiveness yes. that's, you know, in pretty much every church that I observe. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just hard for me to... You know, I just I just read some statistics. Again, I, I've read these statistics in the last year um, a couple different times. Um, but Barna is telling us now is 64% of people who've grown up in the church are no longer engaging in the church. Yeah. Right? 55% of that, six, you know, 55% of that 64% are millennials. Like, you can take the millennial, 55% of millennials are who grew up in the church are no longer engaging the church. Yeah. And then you add to that this, this, this statistic that um, only 10% of people that would identify themselves as millennials to Gen Z um, are what we are what they're calling resilient disciples. In other words, they're actually engaging their faith. They pray. They do Bible study. They uh, attend church. They serve in a in some capacity, whether it's with a church or some outside organization, and and, and they're actively pursuing their their relationship with Jesus. It, they haven't culturally gone in um, and said, "Oh, I just go because mom and dad want me to go." They haven't disengaged in any fashion or anything like that, which are the other categories. And then there's the nuns that I'm just out, I'm done, right? 10% are resilient disciples, okay? That's out of that 55 to 64%, right? 
Yeah. Only 10% of them were resilient disciples. I think that the result, I honestly think the majority of the reason why is what you just said. I don't want to be part of a bigoted, um, a bigoted, you know, divisive culture that claims that their central tenet is love your neighbor as yourself. Like they, they just said, if that's what you're going to do, I'm, whether it's deconstruction or not, I'm out, <laughs> you know? And, and I think that's the case. So here's a question then based on that. Um, what do you think is the reason for the division, the divisiveness? Why are we, why, why do you think that we are being, why, why do you think we're in this situation? I think, uh, man, I, I, I could be totally off base on this, but let me, I, I think a big part of it is we have had leaders and, and this is on both sides yeah. of the political aisle. Yeah. More so on one side than sure. another. One is louder. We'll just say it like that. One yeah. may be louder. We, yeah, but but what these leaders have done is giving given individuals permission to be to be more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and confrontational. Right when it comes to political perspectives. Yeah. And and that's caused people to then isolate themselves even more. Yeah. So leaders, media, I think is another big part of it. Sure. Is uh you know, people are in media silos where mm-hmm. they just have this echo chamber and right. you know they're not fed perspectives and and it's like you know each side calls the other side you know accuses the other side of listening to fake news right you know right it just and they all have their catchphrases and their catch terminologies yeah oh you believe in this or you think that or this is the definition you you've used for this and that means you're the you know it means you're a fascist or a marxist or whatever yeah you know and if you believe in any kind of compromise at all or nuance, then you're a rhino or some other, right. you know, yeah. some other moder- moderation has become a slur. Yeah. You know, you're not uh, in to be a idea. moderate, mm-hmm. then you're, then you're weak. Yeah. And wishy compromise. Yeah. 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 Yep. Milk toast, something like that. Yeah. 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 So, Having an open mind mm-hmm. is is viewed as a weakness. Yeah, yeah. The the, the the this became to me so evident when I watched Liz Cheney uh, stand up to yeah. uh, President Trump and and, yeah. and 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 the Republican caucus uh, in the Congress, especially around January sixth, um, the insurrection or the riot or whatever you want to call it. Right? She stood the coup. up. The coup. That's what yeah. I call it. There you go. But, um, but she stood up to them. Right. She stood up to them and said, "No, this is this was what this was. Let's call you know. Let's call you know. If it has stripes, it's a zebra. If it, you know, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's a duck. Yeah, you know. And she was just wanting to be honest. And if you look at Liz Cheney's like voting record, her politics, her rhetoric, she's a Republican 
like yeah. 100% in. Her dad, for crying out loud, was probably one of the most notoriously conservative vice presidents and politicians in history. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and she definitely is in that stripe. But she stood up and they're like, well, you're just, you're a rhino. No, no, she's not a Republican in name only. She's in. Like, she, she believes in this stuff. And it, it drives her. And because you didn't, you know, march to the same beat as the rest of us, you are different from us. You're not okay. You know, and I, I, that bugged me, I'll be honest with you. Like, that bugs me. But, so I think that the reason this is happening a lot is because of um, sociological principle. I'm going to uh, credit Sky Jatani for pointing me to it. I can't remember the sociologist he, he was referring to. Um, but it was this idea that um, we have certain um, we have certain principles and certain social norms that we live by, right? That go unspoken, right? Like gender, sexual orientation, um, race, those sorts of things. Um, they they're just they're norms, right? And and you and I know this. I mean, growing up in the '80s and '90s, we 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 experienced the whole. Um, let's bring race into the forefront and start talking about it, right? And we started experiencing as we were kids the let's bring uh, sexual orientation to the forefront and start talking about it, right? Yeah. And and there are tons of American social norms that we can talk about. We can put in this category, right? And 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 as they're brought forward, right? Like as they're brought forward, the society uh, has to start dealing with it. Like they have to have the discussions about it. And this is what I think. And and things get polarized at that point, right? They, oh well, I'm uh, I, I think this about racism, or I think that about uh, homosexuality, you know, and just just this um, um, these issues require us to, you know, have those discussions and understand where everybody's coming from. When we do that, okay, they become shaky to us. What I once knew is now being questioned. And they become shaky to us. And what we start to realize is, is the whole society in which we have been, you know, brought up in, immersed in, lived under, is being put into question. And when you, you know, that, that can happen, you know, we can do one thing, maybe two things at a time. But when we start throwing almost the entire society or big pieces of it uh, out, out there like that, what happens is, is we start looking around and, and, we, and we get really uncertain about our society. And so, and, and you would think that maybe, well, that means you need to engage in the discussion and the discourse. It doesn't. The sociological uh, idea is, is that we react and go to our polar opposites, right? Yeah. If, if I feel like I'm leaning left and I see my culture shaking, I run to the left. Right, and the same thing to the right, and, and and we start grasping onto those because they seem to have some sort of stability to us, right? At least you know where they stand. At least you know you know what what's what's predictable. Um, all these other things are just not predictable anymore. And and I, I, I mean, honestly, as I started looking at that, looking at that and starting to understand that, I'm, I'm very convinced that that's happening because in the last decade two decades, we have begun to question everything in America. The millennials, we, we can blame the millennials, but I'm, honestly, we, we come from Generation X. We're the punk rock generation. We, you, you want to talk about questioning everything. Well, yeah, and, and that's one reason why 
for me, I'm having such a such a hard time understanding why this polarization is is coming into play. Because you know, like I've said before, my whole life I've felt like yeah yeah, yeah. I I, I want to question every institution and and figure out why things are the way they are, and yeah. I I want to I want to disassemble this thing, and I, yeah. I'm not afraid to ask questions of things, and yet everybody seems to be just reacting mm. to sea changes in our culture by cocooning off from everybody else. Yes. And, and that's just, it just is contrary to my nature and it's frustrating as all get out. It is so frustrating. I, I, but yeah. 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 I mean, so Gen X, I, I mean, I don't know. So taking a step back, we've got, We've got the baby boomers, yeah. you know, who were, you know, jumping into into the reactionary response to the war in Vietnam, you yeah. know, um, the the rise of corporatism. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, so many things that they were reacting yeah, to. There's the civil rights movement you that know. they saw. There's the, well, the right. gender equality movement. That, yeah. 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 And so, so, so that starts this big change. But then they start to settle in. Yeah. And, and, and us Gen Xers come along. And, and it's like the being so jaded by both sides. Yeah. Yes. That... Yeah, that that willingness to to ask those, these questions and reject people on on both fronts. Yeah. But then, yeah, the millennials really are the first to come of age in the right. midst of all this. Right. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, some people call it postmodernism, uh, but I think it goes what? beyond. Uh, I've yeah. never heard that oh, word right, before. Right. Come on. We, we've we've what? gone. We've started realizing the progressive, you know, the progressive yeah. myth yeah. of everything gets better yeah. um, is not real. Right. And I, I remember so, I remember reading a book back in the nineties, trying trying to make sense of generational changes. Yeah. And talking about how um, Gen X we we were like the they used the analogy of we are the first car in the roller coaster train <laughs> over the peak yeah. of postmodernism. Yeah. Yes. So so we we're in the we got the front seat. Mm-hmm. We can see it coming. Yeah. Okay. And then we're just okay, this is inevitable. Lift up our hands and, and yeah. enjoy the ride down the down the hill, right? Yeah. But what happens as that roller coaster train peaks that hill is it builds momentum. Yep. You know, so everybody wants to be uh, in the front car of the roller coaster, yeah. but the reality is the people in the back car, they've got even more momentum as that the front of the car right. is pulling them over that hill. Right. right. So the physics is there for the Gen Xers mm-hmm. um, moving on into the millennials. Into the Gen, Gen Z, Z we're, we're where starting, they're just man, yeah. they're being swooshed over that thing like yeah. crazy, and and they're just this is normal, this is what we do, this is where we're going, yeah, and yeah, it, it's it's going to it's going to like it is the the longer our parents, the baby boomers, are around, 
and they're going to they're going to live longer than most generations in American history, right? Yeah. Because of medical technology and all that sort of thing, that's going to happen. They're going to be more and more irked by by this because they're going to wonder where our country went. That's the that's the phraseology, right? That we're going to use, and that's going to cause that's still going to cause some of this polarization to happen. But when we but if we actually engage, um, this is my maybe part of my solution to this. We start engaging the millennials and the Gen Z uh, kids. Yeah. You know what will happen is is that we listen to them. We can learn from them, but at the same time, we could be that voice of, of practicality. Going, do you realize what that means? You know, let's bring this down to reality, right? Because the older they get, the more they'll do that. You know, the the more they'll do that. That's just that's wisdom with age. Yeah. And but it doesn't mean that things we we can't revolutionize things. You know, it just means that we we have to re-engage that discourse again, and stop just throwing everything. Oh well, you believe in you believe equality between you know blacks and whites. That means you're CRT and you you know you're Black Lives Matter and you're just a Marxist and whatever. I don't listen to you. Or labels, right? Well, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's you know I mean because we could do the same thing on the left. That's just the most probably. Um, accessible at this moment, or uh, you know, yeah, in our culture, I'm going to slap a label on every thought, yeah, so that I can either embrace it or dismiss it without having to really discuss it or process it. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm sitting here thinking about um, uh, George Washington and how he set up the United States. Build the government because that was his responsibility as first president. Okay. We don't have anything. Yeah. Start building it, yeah. right? And um, and he, you know, he had definite ideas. There's no doubt. I mean, the guy did some, you know, harsh things. He was a military general. So I mean, so he had some very definite ideas about stuff. But the thing that he was wise about that I that I've always been impressed with every time I think of, of Washington is. He brought people in from both sides of the argument and says, okay, here's the issue. What do you think we should do? What do you think we should do? And that's where you get the classic Hamilton versus Jefferson debates. I've seen the musical. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, as a, his, as a history buff, I, 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 I want to believe that those are rap battles. Like, <laughs> I loved that in, in Hamilton. But the, the thing is, is that... I thought that was, I think that's very wise because he created a discourse. And then in his farewell address, right, that where he, uh, where he, at the end of his second term, he says, this, I'm leaving, and this is what I suggest. Do not engage in partisan politics. Yeah. Like, do not live in two camps, but continue this discourse. Yeah. And what do we do? I mean, literally, I mean, literally, as soon as he's out of office, boom, two, two parties, uh, let's just chase this thing down. And... I think to re-engage in the discourse is going to is going to be the way forward. And if we go back to the beginning of our discussion, I honestly think that that's the kingdom of God. Yes, yes. Somehow, though, we've got to get to the point where our churches can have that conversation without just immediately rejecting this or that idea because it falls in the other person's camp. Yes. You know, 
That, no, oh, we can't talk about that because that, that belongs, that's, that's a liberal idea or that's a leftist idea or that's, a, that's for Democrats or I, we can't talk about that. That's, oh, you're sounding pretty right wing right now. You yeah. know, um, what are you saying? Yeah. You know. And, and, it, and it, it'll come with that. I, I've preached I've pre- sermons here at the church I work with where um, I've used the term Marxist actually saying that um, we should not follow Marxism. <laughs> and just because I used the term Marxist, it clicked in somebody's head and they hear nothing else I said after that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that yeah. I'm so sorry. I mean, I apologize to the person that this that, hap- that happened to. And I tried to explain myself. It took a lot, but we had a discourse about it, which was actually good. Yeah. But that's what's happening. Well, at least you were able to do that. But, right. But... Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's so sad that, that even proposing care for somebody yeah. uh, can lead to a, a whole new red scare in the church. Yes. Yeah. When, um, yeah, following Jesus ought to be something that is going to transcend mm. all parties and, and all nationalities. Right. And... When it comes down to um, following the teachings of Jesus or a political ideology, yeah, which one's going to win out? Yeah, in your mind. Well, what's what's happening now? I mean, let's be straight. Yeah, like I mean, it, like it's threatening to split our churches again. Absolutely. Yeah, because a hundred years ago. The church in America split, like down the middle. All denominations, all fellowships, right down the middle. Because we were discussing whether or not Scripture is um, inspired by God. Whether it comes from the Holy Spirit through His, you know, through, through His servants to yeah. the people. Or it was just something a bunch of editors put together to create good rhetoric for the church as a marketing tool almost, or a, <laughs> a, a way of teaching. You know, and and we had these we, these camps like you had liberal and conservative camps, which are totally different than politics, but that's the way we labeled them. Yeah, and we're thre- it's threatening to do that again, but on political lines. Oh, that's a Democrat church. Well, what do they believe about the scripture? Probably something similar to what we believe, but they're but they're liberals. Yeah, or they're conservatives. I don't want to go to that church. Because they're probably, you know, bigoted and homophobic. Right. And the problem here is that that this current division um, blurs the lines between church and community. Church yes. and church and yes. politics or you oh, know, yeah. it's like you know, the the liberal conservative theological split in the church in the early 20th century yeah it, it it had an impact on the witness of the church at large totally did. for sure but these days yeah it's it's engulfed by there's there's hardly any differentiation between a, a theological conservative and a political conservative or a, a theological liberal and a political liberal progressive however yeah. you want right. to you know whatever whichever set of terms you want to use and you know you do, I, 
there's a there's a certain route I take when I go on some some longer bike rides where it takes us out of the city and out into the country, and it's yeah. like you almost literally cross a line yeah. or cross a highway, yeah. and then and all of a sudden you start to see all these signs in people's yards that you've gone from one district into another. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and these people pay tribute. But but the signs that you see, and again, back to, you know, the the, the midterm political ads you see on TV. Right. It, it's all about blurring those lines. Yeah. Um, between the religion and the politics. Right. And uh, everybody wants to claim, I mean, Dylan had it nailed 50 years ago. You know, everybody wants to claim God's on our side. Yeah. That's it. And I think that that's what we have to be very leery of in the church. So I, I think here's the thing. This is one of the solutions that I've thought through that I think would actually help us is acknowledge the fact that there are many times which where we put our politics as a litmus test in front of our following of Jesus and disavow it. And you, we actually have to actually do that as a church is say, there are times Jesus sounds like a Republican. Sometimes he sounds like a, a, a Democrat. Sometimes he doesn't sound like either one of them. And we have to acknowledge that and say that we, we follow a, a savior who transcends politics. So if you if you want to disfellowship yourself from a group of people because of your political point of view, maybe stop yourself and ask yourself that old question, what would Jesus do if he were me? I like Dallas Willard's take on it. How would Jesus live my life if, if he were living it today? Yeah. And, 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 and ask yourself that. And, and I think what we would, a lot of us would begin to do is disavow that, that, that mistake, we would repent of that mistake. But then we can't just disavow it. We actually have to do something. And one of the things I, I've thought would be huge is if we had listening groups, not discussion groups, but listening groups. Yeah. Okay. Where we get people of all stripes together from our congregation and we just, hey, this is what I think about this. And allow each other to hear the other one. And have certain rules in place, like don't speak until you understand what the other person is saying. Once you listen to what they're saying, and you're able to articulate it in your own words, then you can say, well, I, I, I would disagree with you about this. I think that would create a discourse where you would actually see, I love Jesus, and I'm trying to follow him, and these political points of view actually fit my faith journey toward Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Man, that, that takes... Have you ever, okay, so we've both played that that pastoral role at times. Have you ever tried to do that with a couple in marriage counseling? Yes. You know? Oh, yeah. It, it's like teaching you to think like a therapist. Yeah. And, and using those, the, that feedback method. Yep. Um, let, me, let me take what you just said and put it in my, wor- my own words and feed it back to you and um, that may just end up confirming that I still don't understand what you meant when you yes. said this. Yes. But at least it gives you an opportunity to tell me, no, that's not what I meant. Yeah. 
doing that with a couple is one thing, but doing that with a whole group of people coming from different yeah. sides of the political aisle, it's uh, it's yeah. a daunting task. But but see, I but, think that is the, that when I say the discourse, yeah. I honestly think that that is the work of the of the church in America. It could be, yeah. <laughs> maybe should be, right? Um, I think. See, here my mindset just keeps coming back to we should be the dissenters yeah. on you. both sides. I hear you. Yeah. But but uh, that's just that's just uh, me. That's the kingdom too, yeah. man. Is it undermined the first Jesus undermined the Jewish system, the second temple system. Yeah. Then Jesus then then they started undermining the Roman system. Yeah. And and when the church has been its most effective, right, it's subverted. The culture, yeah, in in lieu of the reign of God, yeah, and see that's what I think this kind of discourse does. It is undermines the the discussion, like it undermines the polarization. It subverts it. Yeah, it says, "Hey, um, we got something bigger that we're doing here, and the kingdom is a is worth a lot more than whether I vote for that person for president or that person for president." Yeah, that's tough. Uh, it's tough. Well, we've we've uh, officially beaten this horse to death. I think. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, this horse is going to come back to haunt us over and over and over again. That's so right. there's, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, we haven't beat the donkey or the elephant to death. That's so. that's right. I would, hey, this this came up, and this is totally off the cuff. Maybe maybe a fun little end. You know when um, when when I first heard people start using that term rhino yeah. as a pejorative yeah. towards moderates. Right. Um, yeah, I didn't understand the acronym. Okay. Republican in name only. Yeah. So all I, all I had was the picture, the analogy in my head. <laughs> so it's like, are they saying a rhino because it's kind of in between an elephant and a donkey? <laughs> yeah, and that was, uh, I, I have since learned yeah. I, I still like to think that maybe it's a little bit of both. There we go. It's the maybe it's the bull moose. Yeah. There yeah, you go. Yeah, that that could be. That's a totally different uh, discussion point. But yeah, yeah. I mean, the, there is unfortunately something's going to happen, and this is this is what in American history happens is we we get to this point, and then a, a new perspective of the world is is birthed at least for America. You know. Yeah. And. You have new political parties or the switches of parties or something like that. So I think that may be something we're looking at. But yeah, uh, and maybe it's the rhino. Yeah, maybe that's the new yeah. that's the new political uh, animal. That I mean, we have to deal with man, there's so so many more places we can go. We can talk about the link between this and, and eschatology. Yeah, in the future, and you know maybe yeah. that'll come up and all sorts of other things. But well, yeah, uh, and ecclesiology and yeah, right. there's all those things. As I mean. There are links from this to a lot of other things. Google those words, I guess. Right, right there you go. <laughs> you don't know what they are. Uh, but next week, where we are, or next time, it's going to be a, probably a couple weeks, um, we're going to talk about um, tribalism as it affects the church. Yeah. Because as much as we've been split politically, we've also been split um, theologically and denominationally. And, and that mean, that has its own versions of how do you deal with this? And if the if in our in our culture that we're being split by politics, we've already been split by denominationalism. 
Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna tackle that, um, and uh, and and try to beat that rhino to death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so come back and hear me express my frustration with everything, and Stu try to prompt us into finding some solutions. There you go. All right. Hey, guys, thanks for thanks for being with us. Thanks for uh, uh, listening, all of you listeners out there. Um, please um, subscribe, like us on, uh, on Spotify, which is where we're at. Um, it, it helps people find us and, and all that stuff. So have a, uh, have a great uh, next couple weeks, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Two Guys in a Microphone. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a moment. See you next time.